Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of JewishRain.com, the show. Today, we're speaking about Rav Papa, one of the rabbis in the Talmud, and beer. And to discuss this with us, we have Professor Jordan Rosenblum, who is the Belzer Professor of Classical Judaism at the University of Wisconsin, Badgers. And his uh, first book, actually, for some of you out there who consumption interests might go more broad than just drinking, his 2010 book was Food and Identity in Early Rabbinic Judaism, if people are curious about all that uh, food. But we're more narrow here in Jewish drinking. And his new book is coming out January 21st on rabbinic drinking. And I will definitely be including a link down below. Also, Professor Rosenblum, because he's put out a book about Jewish drinking or rabbinic drinking, he'll be on the show a lot more than just this episode. So. We're talking about Ruff Papa and Beer, which is the, he is the, I guess, the rabbinic brewer par excellence, right? Yeah, he's the rabbinic beer baron. Um, he's quickly became one of my favorite rabbis for a bunch of reasons. Um, one is because we share an interest um, in rabbinic texts about drinking, and he appears a lot. Um, and it's kind of a fun story, right? They keep making references to the fact that he made um, a bunch of money off of beer. And... Um, and then he kind of weaves in and out of stories and occasionally makes halachic decisions that um, seem to benefit the beer industry. And so it's always uh, intriguing to think about the, the, the intersections right, between self-dealing and halakha. When most people think of Rav Papa in general, they don't, I mean, they might know his beer stuff. I think when it comes to halakhic pieces, I think what, and what I'm more used to, I think, people thinking about is his rulings on blessings. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how familiar people are out there with this, but on one, two, three, four different occasions, he he can't really figure out if there's two endings of a blessing. He can't figure out which one to go with. So he says, let's just say both of them. Why not both, right? And I think that might be uh, something that people are more familiar with, whether it's the after bathroom blessing or the blessing over a rainbow and, and a couple other occurrences. But the is you know I wonder if there's any relationship between the beer drinking and his indecisiveness with blessing endings. I don't know if that's if there's well, I, any connection or he's just like eh, like who cares like let's just enjoy let's say both blessings. I like to think there's more to him than you know just beer and the beer business. Yeah. Um, but I do. It's one of the reasons I also enjoy him is because um, and this is something we've talked about before is the idea that there's the human interest angle, right? Like people, when you spend enough time studying these texts, um, yes, there's the halakhic decisions and there's the pill pull of it all, but then there's also the personal dynamics of it. And um, the ways that some of these backstories uh, play into it, like, you know, um, there's a story, they're talking about um, Shabbat rules. And they, they talk about animals and making destruction, the destructive action on Shabbat, and it does that violate Shabbat. And they mention um, Rob Papa having an ox that had a toothache, and it knocks over a barrel of beer and mm -hmm. laps up the beer to relieve its toothache. And it's in the middle of a halakhic discussion, and so that, that it's not him making any decision at that moment. But if you know Rob Papa, you know that there's a reason that there would be beer in his house for the ox <laughs> to knock over. One text that we've already discussed here on the JewishDrinking.com show was with uh, Professor Tan Yora, a whole episode about the Shabbat 140B uh, Baltashli issue. Mm -hmm. If one has before them both beer and wine, 
then they're uh, and they choose to go with wine, then they have transgressed Baltashli. Of course, right. as as uh, for those listening to the show, those what Professor Yora then discussed was how the the Stam of the Talmud was not happy with this and needed to go in a different route. But for the just taking that text in isolation, and for people who want to go listen to that show, you can go listen to that episode. But for the text and you know, it's fascinating that it's obviously Rav Papa. He's the big beer, beer guy. And, and I think there's something else that's going on, which is the context the, of what's going on. That mm-hmm. in Persia and Babylonia, beer is, is it's, it's all around. It's not, um, it's not Israel. Israel is a wine country and Persia slash Babylonia is a beer country. And that's certainly true. I, it also is amusing to me and I, I know we're going to get to the Avodazara 31b text about his beer drinking, where he drank his beer, but how much it beer eventually became more prominent, at least for the for the Jews, the rabbinic Jews, mm-hmm. in the, the the Babylonian Talmud. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the the temporality, the chronology of it. The Rabbis in uh, Roman Palestine are interacting with Romans, and wine is the beverage of choice. Um, and what I find interesting is, so if you read um, Talmudic texts, wine comes up all the time. They talk about blessings over wine. They talk about wine is the beverage in the background. Everyone's drinking wine. Um, and then in the Bavli, they're in our culture where beer is common. And so what I find really interesting is the Bavli starts to ask questions of wine texts, um, about, um, well, what about beer? And what I see in that, and what I write a little bit about, is that's also the translation of a um, Palestinian context texts coming into a Babylonian context, right? We talk a lot about um, interactions between um, Babel and Yerushalayim and people going back and forth, right? And one of the ways to think about that is um, there are all these texts that are very much centric to Jerusalem, and that we'll talk about those debates. But if you look at um, discussions of, wait, what about beer? This comes up, and we'll talk about this uh, elsewhere, right, about in, um, can you use beer for, um, for Kiddush and Havdalah? Um, um, or uh, there are all these, um, Rob Papa comes up in the, the famous text, which uh, we'll probably get to later, um, in um, Avad Azarah, about um, can you, you can't use uh, pagan wine because of Yen Nesach, because of uh, libations, but what about non-wine intoxicants, predominantly beer. And then they, they have this discussion, and that's not a question that would come up in Mishnah Tosefta because they're not thinking of anything besides wine. But it comes up there, and that is a necessary conversation about how to translate that. And those discussions, I would argue, then set up all sorts of future things where, um, where, where rabbinic communities have to interact with worlds beyond, right? Because then they've started to see how you do it, and they turn to precedents for that. What seems to me is in the first couple of generations of the Amorim, it doesn't—it's not a big issue. Like beer doesn't seem to pop up, but by the third generation of Amorim, it's—it's it, clearly wandered into the halachic realm. Right. And then finally, by the time obviously we get to the fifth generation of Papa, he's—he already says in Pesachim one thirteen a, if I weren't a beer manufacturer, I would have become wealthy. Right. So he's—he's—it's obvious. It's clear that one of the leading rabbis could be a big brewer. Right. And that's totally fine. It, but there's. It seems like there's some friction in the third, fourth century, fourth generations of Amorim, how they deal with it, and that's what we. That's where that Avodah Zarah 31b piece comes up of. 
well, how come, and it's a very strange formulation of how come Gentile beer got forbidden, even though there's no clear articulation yep. of this prohibition, it just is a reality. And, and the Amorim are trying to, you know, run around and try to deal with it. And yep. one, one opinion is the same way that the Jews produced beer, but the other one is maybe the intermarriage issue. And so right. that's the one side. Right, and that's the one that gets. Uh, I mean, I've written a bunch about that. That's the, the for me, the more fascinating one because the the, the answer is Meshuvah Hatanut, right? Because of intermarriage, and starting in um, in my first book, I was writing a lot about the social dynamics around kashrut decisions, and this is one of those perfect texts when you find it because you're trying to make this complex, modern, anthropological, sociological um, argument. And then you look at that text, and it just does it for you, right? Because they said it's not it's it's because of intermarriage. And the example I then give is right, um, two rabbis um, who who would they would order the beer. Yeah. First of all, let's back up. We, the only reason we learned about this prohibition was because of this text. They said, "Why did they Why did they prohibit this?" We didn't know they prohibited it until they asked us that, right? So <laughs> this is that's a fascinating way that it's like letting us know. Yeah. Um, and then they say, well, you know, so Ralph Papa would, um, and this is, you might read this halakhically, right? Ralph Papa would, would wait outside the bar and they'd bring it to him and then he'd drink it outside. Yeah. And, um, you know, the name of the other Ralph off the top of my head, um, it, uh, would, where is that? Um, oh, let me, I can, I, I wrote notes to myself of what page of the book it's in. <laughs> and, um, uh, Rav Achai, uh, made a bigger buffer. And he would go wait till he got home and crossed into his house. And they said both of them agree it's because of this social situation. Right? But Ravak, I was more Mahmoud, he made a bigger buffer. Yeah. And um, so you could say Rav Papa, right, he's having the least amount of buffer to get the beer the quickest. You could read it that way. You could also read it, as you said, sort of a more compromised position of him. Maybe he's more willing to do that. But regardless, the beer is not the problem, it's the social situation. So yeah. when I'm arguing that there's so much more to kashrut than the kosher laws to just how a product is made, mm -hmm. um, this is a perfect example of it because they really there's no halakhic issue with the, the, the beer is the same. They just say eat, drinking it in there is the problem. And um, I put, there's another text on, um, in Bavli Kedushin 45a where they imagine two, two men drinking... Uh, wine under the willows in Bavel, in Babylonia, and, you know, one takes a glass of wine, hands it to his buddy, and says, hey, our kids should get betrothed, right? So there, so there, that's, I read that very much in line of that. They're imagining, hey, you drink together, you, that brings some social connections, and you say, hey, we should really, we should really have our families connect. And they're saying, so the beer's not the problem, right? If it was wine drinking, it would be easy to say no. It doesn't matter if you drink the wine outside the tavern or inside. Beer doesn't have that same prohibition, but there very clearly is social situation. How much, uh, one curiosity I have is when it says uh, a shop, the Hanuta, how much is it a separate building and entity for it versus someone's house that they just could have brewed beer and just sold it? So that that is, um, that is complicated. That that will depend on places and things, right? The the um, tavern as a fully separable institution is, um, has a lot of variants and things. So it could be sort of both, and but also um, some of them were like bed and breakfasts, right? You have people traveling over, and they you know you you stop in someone's house and you pay a fee to to spend the night and get some food, 
And that continues for centuries. I mean, even unto today, the bed and breakfast. Um, and so um, that that is a, there would be variants of it, but most of them would be sort of multi-use um, sort of um, environments where people were providing um, uh, multiple services for that. But there also were, um, were certainly places that were kind of like taverns. And that's a, it's complicated. What do you translate it? Because, and this is something I struggle with often in translating ancient texts, right? Because I want to convey the meaning in a sense that's easy to understand without having too complicated, like it's a tavern, but it's not quite the tavern you understand it today, but it's sometimes similar, sometimes different. Um, and so sometimes, particularly in this book, I didn't give myself the luxury of footnotes. I just, so sometimes I had to just make a judgment call and do my best to nuance it, even if it couldn't get the full nuance that, you know, a, a 15 line footnote would allow me to, to give it. Yeah. So what I think is really funny about this text is it's, I, I'm not saying it's necessarily cynicism, but it com certainly comes across from Ralph Papa drinking the beer, which mm -hmm. is the beer is fine. It's just really the space within the, the shop. So I'm going to be literally outside of it. I can look in. I can speak with them. I can even pass the beer back and forth. But I'm going to be literally at the doorstep just, just, to, be, just to be compliant which I, I think is also what it's, it's funny what it says about him. Cause I, as certainly as beer drinkers, that's part of what drinking beer is about. He could still converse with them about the yep. beer. He's still there. He just wants to be technically compliant. Yes, but he's, um, he is technically compliant, but also that very much changes the dynamics for things, right? It changes. And, um, much of, um, kosher does that too, right? You know, um, it's very different who you can invite into your home versus whose home you would go to eat at, right? And so, but that always changes the social dynamics. If you if you will always allow someone to eat in your home, but would never go eat in their home, that changes the social dynamics. If you're willing to talk to someone and drink the same beer as them, but you need to be outside, even if they're inside and you're able to talk to them two feet away, the fact that you 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 are there and they are there. Or even if they come out to chat with you, it still it changes the social dynamics, and that's an important component of it, right? Because it constantly marks this as different. Because if you let's imagine two bars, Gentile bar, rabbinic bar, right next to each other, you could technically get beer from either. Yeah. But one, you could go and sit down, and there's no issue, and one, you could you have to be outside of it. <laughs> That, it, it very strongly distinguished, yes, you can still have that interaction, but every moment of the interaction, there's a subtle shift that marks it as different that you don't have if you go to the rabbinic bar next door. I have no evidence that there was a rabbinic bar and a non-rabbinic bar next to each other. Um, <laughs> but if an archeologist finds that, I, I really want to learn about it. Yes, yes. incredible. Another text that's amusing to me with Rav Papa and beer is not an obvious one about beer, which is, on Erevin 65a, he says he wouldn't, Rev Papa would not pray in a house that contained small fish. And that makes sense because fish can be smelly, but it comes right after Shmuel's descript, mm -hmm. someone describing Shmuel not praying in a house that contained beer. Right. Which is fascinating that that didn't bother Rev Papa. He's happy. In fact, his house probably always had beer and he's probably very used to it and likes the smell. Mm -hmm. Whereas Shmuel, who, and I think it should be mentioned, he's an early. Amora, Livy, and Bavo. It's mm -hmm. beer is kind of a new thing for him that he's not used to as much. 
whereas with Papa is very used to it. Yeah, it's a, I mean, that's one of those things of, um, it's hard to know what to do with that, right? Like, because is Rob Papa really making a comment on Shmuel or not, right? Um, the, what I, it's one of those instances where I really love for a nice argument for Rav Papa to say, what are you kidding me? Beer is the best beverage ever. Um, you want to go back to the Val Tashkit thing, right? Like if, if, if you have the chance to drink beer and you drink anything else, like wine, you're wasteful, right? So there, there I can really sink my teeth into, he's making a, st a stance on that. This, um, he, he, he could have been making a comment about that or not, right? Um, yeah. But this is one of those instances where um, the amount of beer-related comments he makes makes you feel like this is a um, him. You imagine him saying like, "No, no, no, beer is not a problem. It's fish that's the problem." Yeah, for sure. I mean, I really would say I'll pray with fish as long as there's good, strong beer to wipe it down. You know, no, to 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 help it go down the gullet. Um, but yeah, it's another instance where he's just circling around a statement about beer. And I, I like what you said of there is a disproportionate connection of the beer statements in the Bavli that have Rav Papa involved. Right, right. And I think that's what that that was the prompt for us when mm -hmm. having this conversation of, you know, it's there are other rabbis who have one or maybe a couple of statements about beer, but Rav Papa's frequently associated it, in addition to, of course, his statement of saying I wouldn't become rich without it, but it's it's just very amusing. When do you do the Shabbat 110, eh? I don't have anything particular on it other than, again, it's him knowing, like, it's again, it's an example of his, his not, well, it's, a, it's an example of his knowledge, right? He yeah. has knowledge of how this is done, um, you know, this, and, and the, and also, you know, it's the idea that also beer, we think of beer just in terms of um, a beverage to, to have amongst people. This is also, it, this connects to the idea, of, like amongst friends, was this connects to the idea too that beer um, was also seen as a potential remedy, as was wine. Um, and so when they're talking about it's, it's a good beverage, not, not just for the flavor, but also the idea of this is the proper uh, recipe to make it a, a good beer and to make it a an effective beer for um, for tr for treatments or for avoiding other maladies, right? For me, it's also fascinating that Rav Papa even gives a particular recipe for it. Mm -hmm. That it's not just something; it's not a simple, broad descriptor, but a specific yeah. recipe involved. So right. Yeah. I mean, the other interesting thing about beer, right, there's also the technicalities of beer. So you think of wine. Wine is going to cost more because wine, you need grapes. Grapes grow in a particular season, um, very temperamental. So it's, it's not so uncommon that you'll have a season where almost no grapes are, um, are really harvestable or if they are, they're very low quality or there's a blight of some kind. And they don't last for that long. So you got to make that wine. And um, if you, it's temperamental, so if you mess it up, um, you, you've lost your shot. So um, wine is um, much more, even the Mediterranean, right, where you might, will have a longer sort of growing season, you still, it's still much more, um, there are much more boundaries on it. Whereas if you're going to do 
um, beer with wheat or um, or even dates and other things. You can preserve those things for longer. You can you can dry out dates and hang them around if you need. Uh, but particularly, let's look at um, wheat or any sort or, or any sort of grain. You can preserve that for a long period of time. You can keep as long as you keep it dry. You can um, keep bringing it out and keep making it. Um, but also, even though it gives a recipe, if you tried to brew beer, it's temperamental, right? Like it takes. So you can. So even if I tell you the ingredients, you, it takes a lot of practice to get it right. And um, one of the key things with any food prep, drink or um, food, right, is predictability. You don't want, you want, your brand is behind, this is what X beer tastes like. This is what X wine tastes like. And um, people, you're not, gonna, you're not gonna become a beer baron like Ralph Papa if your beer is sometimes really strong, sometimes really weak, sometimes really wonderful, and sometimes not. I have a, um, my first grad student, her husband is now an amazing beer brewer, but he started out as a home brewer. And I remember t- tasting some of his first home brews, and they tasted like a guy with a chemi- you know, background in chemical engineering who tried to brew some beer. And then over time, as he got more consistent, start there would be a really good one and then an add one. And now, consistently, everyone I try tastes really good because it takes that experience, right? And so, um, seeing that too makes me think of that. I don't know how helpful this is for the for the text, but Randy's well, I, what's fascinating to me is I typically think when it comes to Babylonian beer that it's primarily fermented. The main fermentable is dates. Right. Dates are the main thing involved, although here the Shabbat 110A wheat's involved as yep. a fermentable sugar. And I also am curious, I don't see anything here, at least around, about barley, but barley must have played a part in their agriculture. And yeah, so- no, they, beer could be made by, the other, the other great thing about beer, it could be made by tons of different things. And, um, you know, we we start to distinguish more between all sorts of spirits by all sorts of processing, but that takes a longer time to do it. And you can, the, the, the good thing about alcohol from the perspective is you could get it from a whole variety of things, right? You need to be able to get some sugars in there and some other things that allow for fermentation. So they found ways to do it out of a ton of different things. And um, the great thing about Babylonia is it's a region that you can grow a whole bunch of different stuff in. And a lot of that stuff got turned into non-wine intoxicants. Well, there's a fascinating text I was thinking about from Mbava Metzia, 65A to B, where um, they're, they're talking about um, Tarsha. They're talking about sort of credit. Um, so, like, you want to um, you pay for something now. Um, you, you're going to have something now, but you're going to pay for it later at an, a, an expense, more uh, larger price. So Rav Papa talks about how um, he would give it towards beer, and he would sell you beer now, and no, because he'd say he says, you know, I can sell it to you now because you can have it now, but I could hold off because beer can hold off, and I could sell it later at a higher price. So I'm allowing you to derive benefit from it now, but pay me for it at the higher price later. But the problem with that is the rabbis usually prohibit um, this because it's a it's an unethical business practice. You're basically, you're, you're, the, the hurricane's coming, so you raise the gas prices, right? Like this is a fundamental problem in economics, right? You're, you're, you, so they have a problem with it. You should pay the, if you want it now and you're giving it to the person now, they should pay the rate now.
And he says, um, you, sh you know, you should be allowed this. And he, his argument is his beer doesn't spoil, so we could wait. So I, he says, I don't have to sell it now. I could wait till it's a higher price. But I'm give, and I don't need the money. He even adds, "Wow, that's incredible that he doesn't need the money, and he's already rich." Then, right, right. Like I don't need the zoos. I've got the money. I don't need the money. It's not going to spoil. So I'm good. And this is actually quite important. I'm good. I have, I have a product that's not going to spoil, so I can wait. I got, yeah. I got cash money in the bank, so I don't have to worry about paying my bills. Yeah. Right. So I'm doing the buyer a favor. I'm letting the buyer. Have some have access to this, right? And and then um, Ravshesha comes in and says, "Look, like, yeah, from your perspective, it's good, but what about the poor schmuck? Literally, the poor schmuck who's yeah. trying to get beer, and you're charging exorbitant rate for it. Like, you're thinking from your one percent worldview, and they're saying we need to think from the ninety-nine percent worldview. Not to yeah. import modern politics, but they're clearly saying, yeah, I know money bags, Papa. You got lots of money." And you say, why, why, look at the mitzvah I'm doing. I'm allowing them, like, I don't need the money now. And it's not going to wait. So I'm allowing them the chance to do it. So, I can, so I'm going to charge them an excessive rate. And they are saying, like, that's the wrong halakhic perspective. So that's another instance where I, uh, beer is the mechanism. But I think there it's less about the beer and more about um, business. the business. Exactly. So that's sort of a fascinating text where usually he's... This is the, the one instance where I find Ralph Papa a little unlikable. Most of the other times he's very likable. <laughs> um, yeah. I think this just comes from he's lost his perspective for a moment um, because he says, I don't need the money. And Sheshet's like, yeah, I know you don't need the money, but not everyone is like you is kind of what comes out. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Professor Rosenblum, for joining JewishDrinking.com for, for Rub Papa and Beer Text in the Bavli. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Thanks. You too. Bye.